the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. All right, everybody, it's Wine Women Radio Hour. How is everybody doing today? I'm Marcia Maycumber, one of your hosts here with Lisa Adams-Walter. Hello, Lisa. Hello, cheers. Cheers to you as well. I'm going to cheers out my glass here and go, because we need a little audio. And Misty Rodebush-Kane is there as well. Hello, Misty. Cheers. Cheers, Marsha. I'm pouring myself a little bit of wine right now, so nice to see you. You as well, and we've got one of our guests here, Mia Morell. Leah's here. Hello, Mia. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and enjoying some wine with you today. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for being with us today, today, Mia. Really appreciate it. And we have just joining us, Linda Paulson. How are you, Linda? Doing well. How are you doing? Very good. It's nice to see you. Can you hear me? We can hear you okay. Is everybody hearing okay? I'm hearing everybody else okay. Yep, it sounds fantastic. Our, our, little, our little sound check as we get into it. Well, today on Wine Women Radio Hour, featuring our, all of our women guests, and we'll get to our guests in just a second. We've got some news and some things to cheer and toast about because today we are celebrating first day of harvest of the 2020 vintage. So ladies, here we go again. Woohoo! Cheers. Cheers! Cheers to you on that. So the press release from the Sonoma County Wine Growers says um, that after many, many weeks of daytime heat and cool evenings, um, they are starting harvest and it's come 10 days earlier than it did in last year, um, which was a relatively cooler and wetter year. Um, the earliest grapes were harvested uh, on uh, Monday night in Dry Creek Valley when Dutcher Crossing Winery's team picked nearly four and a half tons of Chardonnay to go into their estate sparkling wine, a tradition that they started back in 2016. They are noting that lower crop yields this season are a theme echoed by wine, wine growers. Boy, I can't get that out, can I? Uh, lower crops uh, are themes echoed by wine growers around Sonoma County. Um, the main cause for the lower yields this year is related to the cyclical nature of wines, which have experienced several above average vintages, including the largest on record in 2018. Many growers call this phenomenon of lower grape yields following several, several years of larger vintages right sizing. Uh, other reports of harvest coming in came from McMurray Ranch in the Russian River Valley, which already picked 20 tons of Pinot Noir for their J Vineyards brand on Wednesday evening. Uh, the one those of us who are down here at the uh, south end of the valley in Sonoma Valley heard about uh, Sasaski Vineyards in Shellville. I hope I said that right, Sasaski. Um, they were one of the earliest to pick last year and as well this year. Uh, they brought in Pinot Noir for Gloria Ferrer Sparkling Wines very early this morning. They've been growing Pinot Noir for Gloria Ferrer for almost 
20 years. Um, and some of you may know that in Sonoma, it's very common that uh, to celebrate the first day of harvest, uh, everybody gathers at the Mission San Francisco Solana on uh, Sonoma Plaza, and they officially ring the harvest bell to kick it off. But since we are all social distancing this year, there is no bell ringing happening at the mission this year. So they're suggesting that people create their own harvest bells and their own harvest bell videos, ringing bells and posting them with the hashtag Sonoma Valley Harvest. Uh, in, in Napa, shifting valleys here, uh, they've also kicked off their harvest for the sparkling producers, including Mum Napa, which brought in its first load of grapes on Monday, and Schramsberg, uh, which held their first unofficial and highly understated celebration, uh, which they did yesterday. Um, so for our listeners who may not know this, uh, grapes for sparkling wine are generally the first grapes harvested, and they do this so that they can maintain the higher acidity levels in the fruit. Um, it was noted by uh, uh, Schramsberg's uh, staff that their vineyard in Carneros, uh, which is off of Bayview Avenue, is usually the first one, and they are also 10 days earlier than average this year as well. Um, so it's been a pretty good kickoff for the season, it sounds like. Uh, another tidbit of news out there that I thought was kind of interesting was an analysis of Global Data's Wine Influencer Program. Now, Many of us are marketers, um, and uh, Global Data's wine influencer platform tracks 800 leading industry experts in their discussions pertaining to the emergence, emerging, uh, emerging, I can't get that word out, emerging trends, pain areas, new fields of innovation, and other popular areas on Twitter. And they've identified our very own Canela Wine who's a wine consultant here, as the top influencer during the second quarter of 2020. How many of you follow Ken Alla Wine on Twitter? Of course. Of course. For a decade. <laughs> I, was, I was afraid I was going to get crickets well, on that one. Um, he's very, he's very, very active and he has been forever. He is. And really, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's just say it's not a surprise in some ways, but it's also a surprise because he's a local guy. I know. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I yeah. find his tweets to be a lot of fun and entertaining. Um, so I'm really glad to hear that he did so well. Um, other people that you may know would be uh, Corky, also known as John Cochran. Um, he's also really well known. Some other well-known people that may ring a bell, Natty, Natalie McLean. Kelly Mitchell, Kimberly Torlane uh, are also among the top 10 uh, influencers on Twitter. So uh, there you go. A whole, bunch of, a whole bunch of news. Now I can set that aside and actually focus on what's in front of me, which is a lot more interesting and exciting. So today we were going to talk a little bit about what we're drinking as summer sippers. Uh, and then 
it's going to be kind of fun because Linda has a background in coaching and in coaching presentation speakers online and offline, but now she's focusing on online since there's a whole lot not happening in person. And Mia's got a very long and extensive background in wine marketing. So we're going to get to share just a lot of thoughts of what's going on. So who would like to start about summer sippers and what you're enjoying? I'm happy to start, Marsha. So this is um, Misty and um, I'm trying one of my all-time favorites. It's sort of a year-round favorite. It um, is fantastic on a day like today. It's um, the 2018 St. Supery Dollar Hyde State Vineyard Sauvignon Blanc. So obviously, I full disclosure, I work and represent St. Supery, but um, this is one of my favorites and um, all-time favorites. St. Supery's vineyards are 100% estate, so we have about 500 planted acres in the northeastern hills of Napa. And this wine itself is from some of our oldest Sauvignon Blanc vineyards that we have now over the years. It came from a clonal program. It's Clone One, which originally is from the Chateau de Kim property, um, originally. And since then, we've been able to um, propagate that through most of our vineyard into um, our own field selection of that clone. So it's a really fantastic wine. It's about 17% of it is aged on new oak for about five months with surly maturation. So that just has such a fantastic mouthfeel and it's very, um, very vibrant and um, vivacious, but then it also has the subtle creaminess and mouthfeel that you look for in Sauvignon Blancs that have been aged on oak. So I am enjoying it. I just need some cheese to go along with it and I'd be sad. Yum. Yeah, Saint goats. St. Super is really well known for its Sauvignon Blanc um, that you've had for a long time and there's a, a few different iterations of it, right? Um, aren't there two or three different Sauvignon Blancs produced? by St. Supri or am I remembering all wrong? No, you are 100% correct. So there, um, we traditionally had only had two up until about um, this year. The 2019 vintage was our first release of a, a third Sauvignon Blanc. So we have our estate Sauvignon Blanc, which most folks um, out there come to find St. Supri um, near them. That's our most heavily distributed Sauvignon Blanc, and that one is 100% stainless, so it doesn't spend any time on oak. And then we have our second tier, which is found in restaurants around, restaurants and select retailers around the U.S., and that's the one that I'm trying today, which is the Dollar Hyde Estate Vineyard Sauvignon Blanc. And then just to, just to be creative and keep um, all of our wine club members happy, we created a third Sauvignon Blanc that's our cold, um, cold concrete fermented Sauvignon Blanc, also from Dollar Hyde, but it hasn't seen any oak. It's 100% um, fermented and aged in concrete. So really fun and nice product My as well. Flushes. And I love your words, vibrant and vivacious. It is indeed. I love your wines. 
Yeah, thank you. Our winemaker is actually from um, Australia. He grew up in the Barossa Valley. So Michael? he has Michael Scholes. Yeah, so Michael has been, I mean, in the U.S. for for decades now, but he has brought over that Southern Hemisphere sort of winemaking style, but it's obviously very Napa-centric with Napa fruit and Napa winemaking style. So it's, it's a very fun wine. And I, like I said, love it all year round. He's also very handsome. I <laughs> <laughs> just thought I would throw that in. <laughs> and a very kind gentleman to work with. So yeah. I've, um, I've really enjoyed working closely with Michael over the last five years. Great. Um, yeah, and Marsha, I, I also, rec um, when you were speaking about all the news, I don't know if our listeners have um, seen, but I was also really excited to attend the wine business monthly packaging awards seminar this week and i was um mia will will definitely appreciate this having her 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 my her past marketing experience and having launched so many brands but it was really innovative and really nice to see some of the package designs that really um showed really well this year there was one um king estate they in Oregon they did a fantastic job I think they brought home like two of the awards um, one best of class and another first place they integrated the use of vineyard tags into their label design so the front label is an actual vineyard tag so it was really really fun to see to see that um, there was also a huge focus on cans as everyone could expect and single serve so there were some really innovative packages in that category. Um, St. Supri, I was delighted we submitted for the Luxury Package Award. And our designer, Jeannie Greco out of New York, designed this amazing package for us with uh, three grape leaves. And we actually won as well. So um, I encourage listeners to go visit the Wine Business Monthly Packaging Award. So just to see what, what, what's going on in packaging. Exciting. Yeah. I wanted to add, I did take a look at it and there is a, a virtual space where there is a, a virtual, um, what do you call it, like trade show where you can see different um, sponsors who actually create the elements of the packaging. And then there's an, also a page where the winners are listed with really nice photographs. So I'm glad you mentioned that, Misty. I, I took a look at it. Yeah, the AI was also really exciting, seeing more sort of augmented um, intelligence and like different a unique components built into the actual package was um, fun to sort of hear about that and see some of that um, in place as well. Great. Cool. Winebusiness.com. Yes. There you go. We'll do it. Exciting to hear. Misty, I want to ask you something that um, I've, I've probably heard the answer before, but just can't remember it. Dollar hide. It's such an unusual name. It's a historic vineyard. Do you remember anything behind that actual name? Yeah, so the Dollar Hyde Vineyard was a, um, I, I do have the history on it, but the Dollar Hyde Vineyard, probably get it wrong, but the Dollar Hyde Vineyard was a, um, a, a cattle ranch and it was some sort of ranch and there wasn't any vineyards planted there. But the Scally family, who were the original owners of St. Supri, they were very close with um, Mondavi. And when um, any property came for sale in the valley, Mondavi knew about it first. 
So um, they were very fortunate to have found out about this property going up for sale because it's a very large property. It's 1,500 full acres, um, which in Napa, you know, it's hard to come by that amount of acreage. So every there, it wasn't planted at all. And the Scally family planted the, the entire vineyard with grapes. And one of the really fun things about that vineyard that's sort of unique um, to the Napa Valley, there's not a lot. I mean, obviously the land is so precious that you see, we see so much um, red varietal sort of dominating the space. But at St. Supery, Sauvignon Blanc has been, Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet really are our, our two, um, are two, the two wines that we grow the most of. But the Scali family children loved eating the Moscato, Muscat Canali grapes. So because of that, St. Supery also has a Moscato that we produce for years. That's a very fantastic and nice wine for a day like today or, or desserts during the winter time. It pairs really great. Yummy. Yeah, blue cheese. So you, you mentioned cheese earlier as something that's a favorite to pair with the Dollar Hyde Sauvignon Blanc from St. Supery. Any other favorite pairings with that particular wine for summer? Um, that's been my go-to. And um, I can actually, I've been, I keep purchasing, our chef had recommended, I, I mean, I love goat cheese with this wine. But our chef had recommended um, Purple Haze, which is a sheep's milk cheese, and it has a little bit of lavender and fennel in it, and it is fantastic with this wine. And I can also see it pairing really well with, um, you know, some of the lighter provincial-style rosés out there. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. Yum. I'm just writing that down to look for the Purple Haze, because it's... Um... Pour me a little bit, please. Could you just pour me a little bit? <laughs> right yeah. there on the screen. <laughs> Am I off base, but don't you also make a dollar hard in Chardonnay? We, we just recently discontinued our Chardonnay. So we are no longer, we're focusing on um, our Sauvignon Blanc and we've replanted part of that vineyard. Okay. So, we, so if you have some, there are some still out there in market. We had an oak-free Chardonnay and an oak Chardonnay. So okay. I would say purchase it up because it's probably the last of it. Do you have any more at the winery? No, we're, we're, we're sold out. Yeah. Cleared it out, huh? Ah, yeah. You missed out, Linda. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I love this Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> but, um, but just recently, and to Marsha's um, point with harvest, this is, it's real going to be really strange this year because every the first day of harvest um most of the wineries the entire staff personnel will come out at the vineyard and toast to the first crush and the first grapes being brought in um so it's going to be strange this year because a lot of us working from home I, we're going to have to plan some virtual toasts yeah i didn't read that part of the press releases and the napa valley register article but um, most of the wineries that produce the sparkling wine that were mentioned had some sort of much smaller socially distant celebration to toast the beginning of harvest. And um, the owners generally made some sort of reference towards um, continuing safe practices of social distancing, including during picking um, that the field crews also are doing that as well. And um, that's a really important part to them this year. So that is also good to hear. Mm -hmm. 
So it sounds like we are up to Miss Lisa and she's got one of my favorite Proseccos. I didn't get to tell you that yet, but I thought I'd just do it during the show. But the Sorel is one of my favorites. Sorel Branca, extra dry. I didn't know a lot about this. So, and I wasn't even sure where I got it because I always like to have sparkling wine around. So I had this Prosecco and I, you know, I get a lot of my sparkling wine from the new Bee Bubbly um, in Napa. And so I thought maybe I got it there, but I couldn't find it on their website. So I did a little bit of research. It is um, obviously Prosecco, so it's Italian, but it, it's a three generations in Italy and two sisters. So it's a, a, a women-backed brand and they do a lot of sustainable and organic farming. Um, but I think it's pretty widely available and at a really competitive price point and it's delightful. It's fresh, it's crisp, it's floral. Um, Marsha, since you enjoy it and it's one of your favorites, tell me what you think about it and how you became introduced to it. Um, I, I, I agree with your tasting notes so far. I remember it as being um, very, very dry, uh, like a good Prosecco would be. Um, but then also, yes, very floral on the nose and just really super refreshing, meaning it's perfect for the dead of summer. Yes, and as, as those of you who frequent this space with me know, I love Sauvignon Blanc, I love sparkling wine. Um, these are, those are my favorite summer sniffers along with a nice dry rosé. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun to open some bubbles as we're almost toward the end of the week and we're celebrating the beginning of harvest. Woohoo! Yay! Very nice. Well, I'm gonna uh, pour a little refill on mine. This is the um, Segazio Vermentino, the 2018. Um, this is like a really easy go-to summer sipper for me. Um, and I usually pick this up at uh, Sonoma's Best is the most common for me. Uh, this comes from the Keyhole Ranch, which is in Russian River Valley. Um, I didn't know that before this, but uh, doing a little research before the show. It's incredibly floral on the nose. I get, um, I get melon, I get honeydew. Um, honeysuckle. Um, I happen to have um, honeysuckle vines in my backyard that drape over the fence from my neighbor's fence. And this completely reminds me of the, the scent that comes off a honeysuckle at night, you know, with all those wonderful tropical notes to it. Um, so that's something I really love about it. It's very dry. Uh, it's got a little bit of lime notes to it. Um, I frequently have this with goat's cheese, as you mentioned. So a lot of very, um, uh, some kind of dry flavors. It's not one I necessarily do with a, a brie, but you could. Um, and uh, I do have this a lot of the time with one of our favorite summertime uh, appetizers which is to take some honeydew and uh, wrap a little prosciutto around it. Ooh, yum. It goes great with that. Uh, and uh, because I'm kind of a banana nut, because of the tropical notes, it absolutely goes with banana. Something about vermentino and banana just like absolutely works. So 
Kind of cool. The um, Segazio family, I didn't know this, um, but they've actually been uh, around since the late 1800s. So um, their vineyard and their, their property was launched in 1895 by Eduardo Segazio. He was a native of, and I can't pronounce this properly, but I'm going to try, a native of Doliani, Italy. Um, and he picked out the area in um, Healdsburg and the Russian River Valley that he thought was going to have the right soils and the right climate for their family winery there. Uh, and, and they've been going along ever since, um, producing Zinfandel um, and other uh, Italian varieties uh, in a variety of uh, vineyards in the Russian River Valley. So it's delicious, yummy stuff. Love Vermentino. And I think it, I think that sometimes it becomes a bit forgotten. It's not as common. And I think that that's really fun that you are sharing that. Marsha, you've inspired me. That'll, I'm going to add that to my Rosé Sauvignon Blanc sparkling wine lineup. Yeah, give it a try. Very tasty. I think also from the same vineyard, um, they also produce Arnais, which is another very, very light Italian mm -hmm. variety um, from the same vineyard, from the same, uh, which one was that called? Keyhole Ranch. Uh, and they also, from that same vineyard, also produce um, Pinot Grigio. It's not huge. It's only 72 acres. Um, so I imagine there's a limit as to what they can produce. Um, but it seems like it's perfect for Italian white varieties where they are growing this in the Russian river. So delicious. How about our guests? Mia, what are you drinking right now? Well, uh, actually, I wish I could say that I was vastly different from you all, but I too, this time of year, prefer that sort of light, crisp, refreshing, uh, kind of kind of thing and I tend to eat lighter too during this time of year because of the heat so um, today today I am being a complete uh, just wine fan and drinker and I am a huge fan of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and so I brought the 2019 Whitehaven with me and uh, this comes from the Marlborough region, South Island, and I've had the pleasure of working with quite a few wines from that area and have been lucky enough to travel there a couple of times. Um, but this particular wine I'm absolutely loving because it's a blend of fruit from both the Wairau and Awatree Valleys. And so you get those beautiful tropical flavors that are so common from the Wairau, but then also some nice acidity and, um, and some slaty minerally characters that you get from the Awa tree. Mm -hmm. So uh, right now, super refreshing, great pear and tropical notes on the nose and uh on the palate really beautiful citrus that uh it's it's delicious wonderful that's great and mia you mentioned you've traveled a lot to new zealand so that's exciting um will you tell our listeners a little bit about those <laughs> travels and 
you know, we travel a lot through wine country. I haven't been fortunate enough to visit uh, New Zealand, but I have some pretty picturesque views in my, my mind. Well, you know what? It is beautiful, and it is how you would imagine it. Uh, the sky is blue. The you know the the grass is green. It's it's gorgeous, and really some beautiful, pristine countryside. And um, and eventually, it is on my list to get back strictly as a tourist, <laughs> and uh, not have to uh, include any business. But uh, the last time I was there, I did have an opportunity to walk around in Wellington and had a wonderful time. It's a great little city, very reminiscent, I think, of San Francisco for me because it's sitting right on the water uh, and it's a large city, but with a smaller feel to it. It's more intimate. Uh, so I highly recommend a visit there. Wherever you go, you're sure to see something beautiful, try beautiful food, Taste beautiful wines. Exciting. Uh, yeah. Well, so Mia, I have to ask, um, in case I missed it, because it's possible, uh, the New Haven, what are some of your favorite pairings with this Sauvignon Blanc? Or the White Haven. Oh, uh, White Haven, sorry. See, there you go. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> Um, for me, like I said, I like to eat a little lighter in summer and I'm pretty casual. So, you know, throwing together a mixed green salad in the evenings. I mean, this is going to pair great with, with something like that. You could toss in a little bit of seafood, some light poultry too, if you wanted something a little bit heartier. Um, of course, goat cheese is a go-to and I will frequently do something that simple. I, I like to snack. And, um, and then maybe for something a little more filling, a, a light pesto pasta. Yummy. Just, yeah, and that's something that you can have either warm or chilled, really easy. And, um, and then if I'm going, well, in my case, for takeout, maybe some good old fashioned English fish and chips and uh, have that mild, uh, you know, the mild cod that's, that's common with that. It's just an easy, easy dinner. I like the fish and chips. I think yeah. that's a great pairing with a lot of whites, frankly. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because it just hadn't, it hadn't been on my radar recently. And that's, that's a magical pairing right there. So cool. Thank you, Mia. Linda, what are you sipping in the summer right now? Well, right now I'm not sipping much of anything because I'm on a pharmaceutical that will not allow me to sip, but that's oh, not for very oh. long. That's not for very long. And I have to tell a story about myself when I went to New Zealand and Australia for almost a year, it was a sabbatical. And it was back in the 80s, a lot different then. You could travel with cases of wine, your golf clubs, your camping gear, anything you wanted. And we did, we took everything. And I took a lot of real expensive Napa Valley wine because I thought we would trade it. We would meet these winemakers and trade them for their special wines. They weren't into that. They would look at me and say, what do you mean trade? So we drank it all. <laughs> we just enjoyed our wine and drank it all, shared it with our new Australian and New Zealand friends. I agree with you about Wellington. They have a great golf course there called Paraparamumu. Funny name. A lot of funny names over there. 
but my wine, my wine stock right now is, I found some little half bottles of Sauvignon Blanc from, from Duckhorn that are perfect for me right now because I'm living alone and that's the perfect size for me to have with a meal. And I'll tell you a great meal to have with any white wine that I've been making is saute some, some pine nuts and penny or any kind of pasta you like and add a little broccoli perhaps or cheese and then just sprinkle it with your favorite cheese and the pine nut. It's fabulous with any white wine you want. My favorite right now is Pinot Gris from Opolo. That's a, that's a, um, uh, a winery based in Paso Robles. And um, they, uh, my husband said when he tasted that wine, if I had to only drink one Pinot Gris for the rest of my life, I'd pick this one. I thought, ooh, that's quite a statement. So I told him they should use that when they're selling their wine. Wouldn't you think? Would you yes. Think <laughs> <laughs> Great endorsement. I had a fellow in here the other day that said he could only drink one Pinot Gris for the rest of his life. He would pick. Uh, anyway, uh, so I'm very jealous that you're sipping Misty right there in front of me, and I can't. I'm sorry. I, and I'm going to go research my wine stash to see if I have any of your dollar high Chardonnay left. I don't think I do, but it was it was one of my very very favorites. And I have I have a um, I think everybody should have a tagline when they talk about their wine or their wineries. One of my taglines in my business is can't use it now. Real chemistry happens in person. <laughs> how, do you, how do you get in person when you're doing virtual, right? <laughs> I've been doing a lot of um, dropping in and visiting virtual wine tastings and then, you know, commenting with my, the coaching tips with them. And I've seen everything across the board from um, winemakers doing it, pouring their water down the drain when they're through with it, I mean, on the floor. Everything from that to the very classiest of class that you can imagine. And everybody has a different style, you know, and as well we should. But um, it's real eye-opening watching these people go from in-person to in-virtual. Um, remarkable. Some you are right, Linda. Pardon? Linda, you, you, br you bring up a great point because it is quite the transition to make that shift. And for us um, at St. Superi, we've been hosting quite a lot of virtual tastings since the end of March. Yes, and it, there is a huge amount of production and practice yes. and rehearsal that goes into that. And if you're not investing in that, it is so obvious and evident because there are so many opportunities for people to speak over each other or for people to go on and on about a certain topic like and and you have a very short window from an attention span perspective so it's it's been very interesting and we found for our virtual tastings at that 30 to 45 minute mark is like ideal yeah and once yeah. we get you know, we done, ran a couple over an hour or right at an hour. And, you know, the attention span was just so lost. Um, one of our, uh, our, own, our CEO had spoken with, um, I won't name the winery, but another um, very large winery that's traditionally known for hosting really large events. Um, not, not often, but just a couple a year. And um, they had to transition and pivot one of those events to be 100% remote this year. And they had commented back to her that that was one of the hardest things I will take hosting, you know, this amount of people every year. It was so much harder for us to manage it from a virtual perspective and keep everyone's attention span for the duration. 
So it, it's interesting to see. And I think that presence that you point out and the speaking ability, you know, for these, these folks that have become the winery spokespeople, they were before, but now it's even harder because they're doing it in front of a screen. It's, it's so important. Yeah, I don't know the one you're speaking of, but if it's the one, I think I missed it because I was supposed to be traveling and then everything hit and I couldn't, I didn't sign up in time to get the tickets, but I would love to hear more about that from you one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Uh, if Emma does nothing, if it's not with pure sophistication, her tastings were extremely well done. She had it very, very polished and put together and had on interesting different people. I would rank hers as one of the very best. She, well, she works at it. She really works at it. She what advice, what advice would you have for winemakers out there or winery executives out there that are hosting these virtual tastings? Well, first of all, learn how to set it up with your lighting and how you meet the camera. So many, the biggest, one of the biggest mistakes they make is they have lighting like that. So it, it's really simple. You just have to have the light on you. I don't have an expensive production of light here, but look at the difference that makes. You know where I learned that from? A friend in Chicago who's a production person for Oprah Winfrey. Lighting is, I have my, my, my computer on a dictionary because we're down here, like a lot of people, you're looking right up my nose and you're looking at my ceiling. How unflattering is that? And that's how a lot of them do it. I was looking at God forgive me, Alan Dershowitz the other night being interviewed, and that's how he was being interviewed. You can look right up his nose, and his hair looked like it was on fire, and he looked horrible. And he's, you know, he's on television all the time presenting. He should know better, or his coaches should know better, or his promoters should know better, or something. But it's it's the little things in in the setting and and the delivery, and then of course it's so many people can escape when they're watching you virtually. So you have to know how to hold the attention and be vital and be giving them information that they hold on to and they want to hear more of. So in other words, it's the same old thing when you're a presenter, whether you're live or virtual, give them what they need. It's not the presenter that's important. It's the receiver that's important. What does the receiver need? And they'll hang in there with you till the very end if you're giving them what they need and want and can use. Sign simple. I yeah. think that's great advice. I think the other thing, and Misty touched on it, is rehearsals. I've had that with some wineries that I work with, and I've really had to encourage them. One of them had never done an Instagram Live before, and I kept saying, we need to do a test. And sometimes wineries have a test account where they don't have followers, which I think is really important so that they can kind of test in private, if you will. And I, we've solved a lot of problems by planning in advance and having certain people log on and and really go through the rehearsal process to make it smooth and then everyone feels confident and ready to go. It's no different than as a publicist, it's no different than training someone for media training. You have to be prepared. You have to know what to wear. The lighting is important as Linda mentioned and you have to look at the camera and really engage the audience with very short bits of information, not long drawn out. And Miss, you touched on that as well. You don't want someone rambling on and on and on about a certain topic. Rehearsal is absolute key. If you've ever watched TED Talks, you know how TED Talks, yes. everybody loves yeah. They rehearse a minimum of 40 times before they get up and give that talk. It, mm -hmm. make, it takes a lot of work to make it look easy, period. And you're right I, about the editing. They, rehearsal includes the editing, the honing of your points. Good work, yeah. 
I agree with both of uh, what you're saying. I've had the similar experience. I think rehearsal really helps. And it also, you know, when you are putting together materials for a tasting, it's that rehearsal, I think, that allows someone to come across as uh, being a little more natural too. You sort of develop that because if everything is just simply memorized and, and scripted, you can lose that personal touch. And I think the rehearsal really make a difference there. Cements it in your brain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you own it. And you really own it. That word authentic is tossed around so much, but authentic doesn't mean just get up there and let them have, just regurgitate everything you know. It's not that at all. It's like you say, honing it, editing, rehearsing it, getting it so it smacks, and so you totally own it. That's authentic. It's like a dancer that knows how to dance really well. How many times has she or he done that dance? Hundreds. When they do it so many times, they totally own it, and that's authenticity. Right? You agree? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there. And, and I think too, it gives people an opportunity, you know, maybe some particular word that might be scripted isn't a word that the speaker may use naturally. So I think there is a little opportunity too to interject one's own, you know, personality as well. Important. It is. And I have, a, I have a question for, for Mia. Like, um, so we talked a little bit about these virtual tastings and ways that we're trying to reinvent ourselves in this digital space and trying to be relevant. Um, are you seeing any new marketing trends sort of emerging because of this that our listeners should take note of or be aware of? Well, I think one thing that is important to me is trying to keep it simple and make sure that what you're doing, you're, you're doing well, you know, try to focus a little bit because this can be a little overwhelming and, and, you know, you might be feeling well, like you don't know where to go or where to look and what to do next, but just simply beginning and looking at what you do on a day-to-day -day base physically and think, how can I create this same experience online? And how can it be, how do I need to make it a little bit different to suit this particular audience or group? What, what is a way to engage my audience differently? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I do think there is an opportunity, a little of it can be trial and error sometimes too. You can, take what you do in the winery, move that to a digital space, and, and actually the experience too can provide some key learnings that you can take with you and you can make your refinements and then do it better the next time. So I'm, I'm really seeing just absolutely some unbelievable creativity that I didn't even think, oh, okay this is how you can do this online. And, uh, and it's been fascinating. And I know someone mentioned earlier the, uh, the AI. I think it was you in the packaging, right? Yeah. Uh, I just got contacted by a company about that. And, and it's just kind of fascinating some of the different things that you can, you can do there. So for me, I'm really kind of looking at that right now to see where it goes. 
I'm also really seeing an emergence or a reemergence of QR codes. Like we thought that they were dead and we thought that they were gone, but um, some yes. of the, the, the restaurants that I've been dining at, like, and it's because of the sophistication of our technology. I mean, we look at this, I mean, we're hosting this meeting over Zoom. Two years ago, I mean, the platform wouldn't have been as robust. It wouldn't have been as as adaptable, but now, you know, you can overlay broadcasting technology to Zoom and same with the QR codes. Before you had to download those clunky apps, now you just pull out your phone and you go to snap a picture of that QR code and like you don't even snap the picture, but then the Safari browser, if you're using an, uh, an iPhone, um, will pop up and it will direct you directly to that landing page, whether it's a menu, whether it's a landing page, um, so I'm seeing a DIY video, like I'm seeing more and more of that. Yes, and I remember when QR codes first came out and I started, I, I was really interested in the technology and I gave it a try on a couple of things, not packages at the time, but some shelf talkers. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it just didn't catch on the way that was expected at that time. And I love that you mentioned it because when I was looking at the AI, that was the first thing that my brain clicked into was that this was sort of a reimagined, more sophisticated QR code that could be really interesting and a great way to share stories. Hmm. Cool. Lots of things I haven't heard about in a while. Same, same boat. I actually had designed some labels for people and they wanted QR codes incorporated. And I, yeah, you know, I put them in kind of a little bit grudgingly, like, is anybody going to scan the darn thing if we, even if we print it? <laughs> and I don't know what happened on those labels if anybody ever did, but it's, it's kind of cool to hear. You know what we haven't done is we're kind of going to go backwards a little bit because we didn't actually introduce Mia's background and Linda's background. Um, Mia's currently a freelance marketer. She was previously uh, the senior director of marketing at Foley Family Wines and brand manager at Jackson Family Wines. And she's gone through a move back and forth with the East Coast and part of her um, uh, shift has been taking some time out to get her MBA. So congratulations on that, because that's a pretty major accomplishment to get that done. Um, but we're glad to have you back on the West Coast and uh, having good marketing minds out there with uh, helping out with getting the marketing going, because we always need more of it. We always need to help people uh, understand our brands and our wines better and easier as what we're always searching for. So thank you for being with us, Mia. Really appreciate it. Linda, uh, Linda's been on the show before. Linda is uh, president, CEO, and chief coach at Success Strategies, Inc. Uh, find her at successstrategiesinc.com. Uh, Linda, most of the time you've been giving um, in-person private coaching or class coaching uh, to tasting room employees or to people who are delivering keynote addresses or simply just want to be better public speakers and communicators. Um, you're, you're shifting now uh, with COVID since 
people are not doing in-person presentations and uh, hotel ballroom keynote addresses are kind of out for the time being. Um, but they're doing a lot of Zoom like we are doing today. Um, what's it like shifting to this whole new platform and uh, all new digital world? Well, I'm learning to like it a little bit <laughs> I thought I would because it's a necessity, you know, you're not live. But I've, I've found that it's really, people are doing a lot of things. They're doing training, they're doing presentations, they're doing media, um, and it all takes speaking, it all takes communication, it all takes, you know, grabbing and holding attention and delivering something worthwhile. So it's the same thing, but a different, I'll use the word platform, all these different platforms. I don't know much about the technicality of it, uh, but most of them, like you say, Misty, have professionals taking care of that part. So mine is still just coaching the message, the delivery of the message, connection with the audience, simple things um, is like that. And uh, I'm starting actually to in, enjoy it a little bit because, because when you see results, that's when you start enjoying. It starts when you start getting really invested and people get happy. So. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. I hope, I hope that Mia will give you permission to give me her personal information, her contact information, because I like to speak with her. Cool. Yes. Yeah. I already know Misty, but I don't know Mia, and I need to know her a little bit better. All right. We'll get we'll get you all connected um, outside of the podcast as well. Um, couple couple things I wanted to touch on that kind of you know that affect us right now in the podcast, but it sounds like it's an area that everybody's trying to figure out how to address, which is. We're using this different medium to try to communicate with our listeners, with our coworkers, with our fans of our wines that we represent. Um, and some of the things I've noticed that make it more challenging that I'm still adjusting to is that in the Zoom environment, depending upon whether or not you're choosing a gallery view or a speaker view, and for our listeners who may not know what that is, the gallery view is when you've got a lot of little, little faces all over the screen, Brady Bunch style. Everybody kind of understands when you say it's the Brady Bunch view with everybody in a square around you. And that, that is my kind of preferred way most of the time to, when I'm viewing and participating. But it's tricky because everybody's moving and shifting, but also everybody is this big, they're little teeny tiny. So it's often very difficult to yeah. convey and understand uh, facial reactions. Your body language is kind of limited to the shoulders on up for the most part. Um, you can't be 100% sure what a reaction or an expression means. So I find myself um being a little bit larger in my gestures and expression just to try to help everybody else see what i actually mean more accurately but i don't know if that's coming across how are the rest of you finding that's working or or even backfiring in circumstances you've been doing 
that actually brings me back to um, Linda's classes. So I've actually been one of Linda's students and has gone through her public speaking course. And one of the, um, the lessons was to really exaggerate, and Linda, maybe you can explain this better, what, but was to really exaggerate your points and be really over the top in delivery. And when you watch yourself with that over the top delivery, it is amazing because you're like, wow, I thought I was being obnoxious, ostentatious. Like, I can't even believe that that actually comes across as just being like, okay. And that was like a good, actually de good delivery. Um, <laughs> so Linda, if you want to extrapolate on that. Well, energy is a really important factor to, to holding attention and to making, to get people with you and keep them to stay with you and, and in your presentation, but it's different in front of just a little camera like this. When you're in front of a group, like Marsha, when you were talking about all those faces, you see all those faces alive when you're presenting live. You just see them in a different way. It's kind of shocking to see them all clustered around you like that. Yeah. Marsha, you're a performer. I've seen you perform. You just dance around the whole room. You use every inch of your space and you're so alive and you capture attention that way. But when you're in front of a little camera, you have to narrow it because you really only have one little audience and it's right there. But that doesn't mean you still can't have energy. You still have to have the energy to, to hold the attention. It's just interpreted differently. The exercise that Misty was talking about is called the 150 mile an hour exercise. And you've probably heard of something like that before, especially you, Mia, you've been at Newtley's because you've been in this business a long time. You just get them to exaggerate way out of proportion till they feel socially unacceptable, like they're being a jerk, like they're being so rude, <laughs> so obtuse. And you get them to do that. And then when we play it back, we play it back with no sound. And all you see is their movement. And it looks really dynamic. They look like a professional speaker. And so they're right. That's kind of how you felt about it, Misty? Yeah, you feel out, you feel like you're out of your skin, like you're just doing something that's socially wrong, socially unacceptable. But then when you watch yourself back without the sound, you're like, wow, that body movement was actually okay. And I wasn't in someone's personal space. And, uh, but on Zoom, I do find it, it's, it's really difficult. And with meeting after meeting, you know, back to back, and if your camera's on, if your camera's off, uh, you even more so have to like, communicate and interject that you're there and you're listening yeah. because it's easy for folks to see, you know, your Vanna White picture, I call it. Um, we have one for our winemaker, Michael. So when he's on a Zoom and he doesn't want the camera on, you know, he has his, his, his headshot there. And, you know, it, it's hard. Like you've got to really um, keep the conversation going. Um, at least when you have your camera on, you know, you do, you can see the visual reaction that um, the, person on the other side is having to whatever you're delivering. Yeah, that's true. One of the presenters I heard about recently from you, Marcia, that sounded really good is the woman that opened up asking questions on her chat and then responded to the questions that's immediately getting the audience engaged and responding to what they want to know about. Hello. And that's a perfect tidbit or tip. I like that. I didn't do that in my presentation for wine women, but, uh, I, I don't know how, how it went over. It was my very first webinar. It was kind of <laughs> scary. <laughs> it was good. I was at that one. It was good. And, and um, I, and I Linda, just going to add some. Go okay. ahead, Misty. Oh, I was just going to say that Linda mentioned, you know, you don't have to invest heavily in, you know, lights and heavy lighting and like really professional things. 
um, search around your home because this wine bottle is being held up by like a stack of magazines and my phone right now is being held up by an AC remote control car for my son. So I just had to find something that was like that right height, like an, a, a tripod type iPhone height. And it has a little dial for him for to, you know, to turn his AC car and the phone fits perfectly in it. So I just think, you know, everyone should get creative um, in their, in their, in their settings and in their environment. Yeah. And if it well, means Lisa says, rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. She's right on. You've got to well, do it, try it many times in many ways. And every time you rehearse, you'll do it differently. Don't let that worry you. You're internalizing. You're internalizing. And when you finally do give it, you're internalized. Right, Lisa? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was just going to add something that's very interesting. And, and Misty, I applaud what you're saying in terms of creativity because my computer is up on a basket. I, I put, it's not, I don't work with it up here. But when I'm on a Zoom, I, I raise the level, as Linda had mentioned. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say that's very interesting that I think we're all seeing when we watch news and everything else, while it seems sort of impersonal, it's also very personal because in many ways we're seeing these newscast newscasters broadcasting from their homes or we're seeing their, you know, their environment and we're seeing something very personal and intimate that we wouldn't normally see. So in a way, even though we're far apart, we're also being brought closer together in, in different ways that I don't think we really anticipated. Yeah. You have to be very careful what's in the background, too. For instance, in my bedroom here, I have a naked a nude woman over my bed. And my daughter saw that, and she said, Mom, don't show me. <laughs> so you have to be very careful what you're showing good, in your right, personal life. A really good point. Now, Mia solved that problem right now. She, had, she told me before we started recording, that the, the beautiful background that she has uh, with her Zoom account uh, is from a, a, a photograph of this beautiful- Portugal. <laughs> there you go, Portugal. Uh, and it's beautiful, it's got ferns and all kinds of greenery. It's absolutely yeah. stunning. It it's is really beautiful. nice to see. And I was gonna add to that, um, I see a lot of uh, television personalities um, you know, and, uh, you know, what are they called? The contributing editors types or something they call them, um, or contributing reporters. Uh, they, they're all using ring lights or, um, I just got a loom cube. So if anybody's, um, tried a loom cube, you know, the ring lights are under $20. So they're pretty inexpensive. You can attach them to your phone. If you're doing like Misty, you're, um, using your phone for your Zoom. Uh, and, and the loom cube just um, has a little suction cup to, to uh, attach to your laptop. So, and I see several of you have opted for the um, outdoor sunlight coming in from the side, which is another great way to do it. So, you want to be seen, you don't want to be in the dark. Well, this has been a lot of fun, ladies. I think we're coming to the end. Mia, let's find out we, if people are interested and they want to reach you to talk about their marketing needs because you're a freelance marketer. How can they reach you? You know what? The best way is to just give me a call. My number is 707-292-5136. And uh, basically, I... I help people out with whatever they need, anything from strategy to design, writing, everything in between. All right, perfect. 
and, Le and Linda, uh, how can folks reach you for success strategies? Well, I do have a website, but you know, there's nothing going on. I don't have any workshop dates or anything. So best thing with you me too. You do have a contact form on your website. Yeah, I do have a contact form. But the easiest thing, pick up the phone and the number is 775-530-6119. Or if you want to email me, it's simply Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, H-Q, like headquarters, Linda, H-Q, at gmail.com. That's my personal email. And um, as far yeah, as far as marketing goes, it's kaput. I, you know, except for the virtual wine tasting, reviewing and critiquing and a few media skill things. Um, I'm not very busy. <laughs> <laughs> All so a right. Friend my, a friend of mine said, Linda, the census people need a lot of help right now. Why don't you get in touch with them and offer your time? So I did, but unfortunately I listed the name of my company and my position as president. So I got all these executive offers. Oh, there you go. I don't want to go be an executive for somebody else. I want to train the executives for somebody else. There you go. Oh, that's, that's the name of the game. Yeah. And Lisa, I know we didn't really talk about what you've been busy with. And I know you just had a brief yummy vacation because it really looked relaxing. But uh, yeah, I've been busy writing away. for the Napa Valley Register and other places and doing your PR. How do folks reach you? I can be reached um, via email is probably the best at lisa at adamswalter.com. Or give me a call, 707-696-5006. That's 696-5006. All right. Good we'll have you. to talk more one of these episodes, Lisa, about all of the really exciting things you're doing in the virtual space for events. Like really, re you're really reinventing um, sort of the landscape for us. That would be fun. Yeah, love mm -hmm. that. Misty, how do folks reach you and uh, St. Supery? Well, I am accessible at um, misty at stsupery.com. So very easy email address and um, I will get back to you. I'm quite terrified. Um, next week we go back to distance learning. So um, it's going to be a whole nother, a whole nother ball game. And, and I love the connection, both Mia and, um, you know, Linda, it, it is a really good time to connect with folks over the phone. And, you know, in, in addition to our virtual meetings and Zoom, um, you know, I just reached out today to someone that I had worked with over a, a couple years ago on a really big project and um, really nice to reconnect and just sort of touch base with folks. I encourage that. Good way to go. And uh, I will just close out by saying uh, you can find me, Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A at Cornucopia creations.com. We all know how to get a hold of you. I know it's really long. Anyway, if you click on something related to this podcast, you will probably connect with me somehow. Is that a nice, easy way to put it? <laughs> and most of all, we want to thank our listeners for tuning in with us. Uh, we'd love to hear what your summer sippers are, listeners. Uh, what are your favorites? Uh, what haven't you tried that you'd like to try? All of those are good. And I want to say cheers to all the ladies and have a great harvest since it's kicked off. And we're into that. And we'll be back next week with another Wine Women Radio Hour show. Thanks for being with us, everybody. Thank, thank you for the invite. Cheers. First, thank you. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>